Welcome back once again, everyone, to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richards, your sex-positive sex therapist, sex and couples therapist. I'm an LICSW, and I am a certified sex therapist. And we today are going to be talking uh, about common sexual anxiety, uh, performance anxiety problems resolved in sex and couples therapy. We started out with uh, the first part last time, and we're going to pick up today with the second part this time. Um, and I'm here with my lovely producer and co-hostess, Vicki. How are you, Vicki? <laughs> Woohoo! Part two! <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's doing a whoop whoop back there. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> so cute. I love it. What's going on? Traveling. Excited about that. My plants are all very annoyed with me right now, but they'll be fine. They're just, you know, getting adjusted to summer in New England, which can be oh, finicky. Yeah. How are you doing? How's everything on your end? Well, I'm doing uh, great. Uh, you know, I mean, everybody has problems, right? So I'm doing great and dealing with problems that always come up day to day. Um, although I will say, interestingly, this year we could not go... Uh, to Greece in May and June because it's COVID. So we were in New England summer or spring, actually, because it's not summer quite yet. It's June 15th that we're recording this. And uh, we got to watch our insolent lilac bush, <laughs> which usually when we go, usually we were in Greece like end of May and in June. And just before we go, the lilac bush is ready to bloom, but never does. This time we got to see it in its full glory. So even though I was sad we couldn't be in Greece, I was so excited to watch our lilac here in the beautiful New England spring. If you guys get to come to New England, Massachusetts out there uh, in summer, take the opportunity. It's There's nothing like it. It's I mean, I'm a New Yorker and I never really appreciated it until I lived here. It's phenomenal. So, yeah, and looking forward like you, looking forward to traveling. I just traveled for the first time. Um, we'll be traveling again in September, flying. And I'm, you know, I'm excited. I'm always a little nervous about potential stuff, but I think that's, you know, what keeps us healthy and alive. A little bit of worry is okay, you know, until it ramps up into anxiety and then panic. We want to prevent that. But I think a little <laughs> bit of worry is good. It's, it's healthy. Keeps you on your toes. Keeps you on your toes. Yes, ma'am. So we left off part two talking about how sex therapists help shift the goal for folks because usually they're coming in um, wanting better sex, wanting better communication. So we shift the narrative or the story from performance-oriented sex, goal-oriented sex, like, you know, rather than focusing on the orgasm or erection. And we talk about pleasure. What feels good? Pleasure-based sex, if that makes sense. Uh, Pleasure-oriented sex. Um, so we left off talking about how we can go, rather than thinking about foreplay, to just play, right? Let's get playful. Let's be open. Let's have fun. You know, intimacy and connection can be fun. You know how important it is to take downtime and be mindful. We can take downtime with our partner, be mindful with our partner. I do a lot of that in, in the therapy sessions where I have folks just do a kind of a, a one or two or three minute mindfulness exercise just to take a breath, watch whatever thoughts might be coming in, you know, be a little, uh, a bit of the observer of yourself and just enjoy, you know, life is short. Let's enjoy as much as we can. Um, and so we talked about play and things like we can, we can look at how couples can do more 
of whatever they like, whatever they choose, you know, more kissing, you know, oral play, anal play, vaginal play, erotic massage, uh, toys. Oh, uh, they can go on smittenkittenonline.com, right, Vicki? And they, Our friends over at Smitten Kitten, you get 20% off your order of $50 or more with the code, the happy ending therapist. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Just, is it happy ending is the code, I think? I think it's, uh, I think it's happy. It is. It's code. It's happy ending. Happy ending. Right. So happy ending. Use that. Uh, and I think you get 20% off the whole order if it's 50 or more. Am I right? I, I think I'm right. Yes, it is. Um, anyway, more ways. Uh, so, so they sell toys. They sell beautiful uh, lubricant. It's all vetted. They are sexologists over there. A lot of them are uh, certified uh, sex therapists or certainly sex, sexual health educators, um, and they know a lot and that the products are safe. Um, so they'll, you know, they, there's a lot to, to be gotten there if you're interested. Um, other kinds of play like S&M, role play, fantasy, uh, hugging, you know, forbidden talk, uh, not just dirty talk, right? That turns people on. Um, Books like My Secret Garden by Nancy Friday, those can be fun. Uh, reading erotic literature, um, looking at erotic videos. They have real couple porn, all this really fun stuff folks can use if they want to. You know, sex isn't necessarily what comes naturally. I hear this a lot from people. Well, isn't, isn't it supposed to be all about what's natural? I don't want to buy a toy that seems too mechanical. Well, look, we live in 2021. If, if you want to go all natural, that's great. Go for it. But there's a lot that we have at our disposal that can add to um, that can add to your repertoire of what feels good, whatever that is that that you want. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, oh the other books. Uh, Who's been sleeping in my in your head? Who's been sleeping in your head by Brett Carr K A H R. We should actually put some of these up on the website for book literature recommendations. Uh, the Secret Logic of Sexual Fantasies by Michael Bader. Uh, all these books are great. They're fun. They're neat and fun. We have a we have a whole literature recommendations page on Donna's website as well, mm-hmm. and you can actually um, purchase a lot of the books that she talks about directly through the website. It'll bring you right on over to Amazon. You just click the button. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Makes it. If you have Prime, it'll be to you sooner than you can even imagine. <laughs> yeah, and and for free, oftentimes no delivery with yeah. Prime, right? So check them out. Yeah. So I wanted to talk today a little bit more about sort of. So how do we do that? How do we get more pleasure? Uh, I hear men often say, "Yes, I'm good at solo sex. I'm good at you know giving myself pleasure, but I miss my partner, and I want more partner sex." And so that has to do, if we want that, uh, that's related to syncing up. Sinking up sexually is important. So I was going to talk about the animal kingdom today and how the animal kingdom's different than humans because um, humans can't see necessarily if and when your partner's aroused. Like uh, particularly men can't really see when women are aroused. You know, they're not kind of sitting around showing that they're aroused, right? In the way that maybe chimpanzees do with each other or, you know, other other animals in the animal kingdom. It's very apparent when they're aroused. They show their parts. Hey, here's my aroused part. You know, come and, come and get <laughs> come and get it. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit, not too much. I don't want to get too technical, but there's I want to talk about proceptivity, um, receptivity, arousal. Uh, arousal is not desire. I mean, desire is desiring your, your partner. And you, you may, as the low desire partner, have desire for your partner. You may just not feel aroused. 
And quite often what I find in my practice is for women to feel aroused or become aroused, um, they need to be touched and touch. Um, and it's that simple. And so if women think that they're suddenly spontaneously going to feel aroused, unless you experience spontaneous desire arousal, it may never happen. So don't wait for the feeling to strike. You can strike the feeling by getting together with your partner, even if that's a hug. Uh, even if that's, uh, you know, David Schnark, who wrote The Passionate Marriage, uh, talks about hugging to relaxed. Get in there with your partner, stand on your own two feet, uh, you know, get balanced over your body and give your partner a lovely hug when they come in the door or before you leave for work, the greeting, right, or the goodbye. These are wonderful ways of creating better context or more, I shouldn't say better, just more... Uh, Connection-induced context. How's that? Um, to, again, yeah, feel connected to your partner. So when we touch, um, we become more aroused. So um, let's see. Heller, Helen, Helen Singer Kaplan talks about sexual desire, excitement, orgasm, pleasure. Um, and, you know, there's this idea that in humans, again, it's a challenge to sync up for males and females in heterosexual relationships. Um, so the answer is to plan intimacy. And uh, so so let's talk about rats, right? Oh, how sexy. Rats. <laughs> oh, what? Rats. Right. Rats. <laughs> so why talk about rats? Um so the proceptive phase in the female rat is illustrated when she's darting and hopping around. And what does proceptive mean? It means she's interested, right? She's sort of open. Um, and she shows that by darting here and there, hopping around. Um, and she's only activated in this way if the male is showing interest. Isn't that interesting? Oh, look at mm. Vicky. She's like, hmm, <laughs> she's thinking. So this is so interesting because I hear this from women. You know, when uh, their men help them around the house, when they behave in a way that's flirtatious or uh, they're setting the stage, making a date, planning for the weekend, this creates a proceptive state for women and that women feel desired. Now, let me say that if he walks up behind her while she's doing the dishes and just takes what he wants... That can be startling and that doesn't feel so sex so sexy, even though he's showing interest. It's how we show interest, right? That's subtle. Um, so anyway, she's hard she's uh, uh, hopping around, darting around and and um, this is if the male is showing interest, but she's still in control, right? So if she has low desire, which she probably doesn't if she's hopping and darting, um, like in in humans, Whoever is the low desire partner is the one in control. Does that make sense? It does. Because if the low desire partner is not interested, that's kind of it. Because yeah. most people are good people and they're not, they're not going to take what they want. They get that there's consent, right? Consent is key. You know, if she says no or he says no, no means no. And then figure out, you know, how to get a yes by being slick and smart and sly and creative and imaginative right so anyway and listening and what and, <laughs> and listening and listening oh yeah yeah <laughs> thank you you're welcome exactly 
yeah, so active listening, right? Really hearing what your partner is saying. That's so true. So different species exhibit different kinds and degrees of proceptive behavior. Um, there are four general categories of proceptivity, um, as designated by the writer Beach. Um, so the most common, almost universal among proceptive females are affiliative behaviors, right? So uh, that is female actions leading to the establishment and maintenance of proximity to a male. So you know this, right? When you were single, Vicky, when I was single, if there was somebody I liked, I'd go make myself known, right? You get close, you'd maybe you sit somewhere near, or you start a conversation, proximity, right? Okay, so that's, that, you know, that's clear. That's great. Uh, but what do you do if you're married a long time and, you know, you're married uh, three years, 10 years, or you're together, you're in a committed relationship, uh, or you're, you know, in a polyamorous relationship uh, and you have this sort of secondary or tertiary partner. There's still, as a human, it's hard to know when, when there's interest. Um, so that's why planning is so important. It makes it very clear. Um, so then a second general class of proceptive behavior, meaning sort of displaying interest is, is what they call sexually solicitous, right? So solicitation is called invitation or the presentation behavior. And this varies, but again, this is connected to planning, right? This is connected to initiating. I hear a lot of my men clients say, you know, I, I want partner sex quite often. Um, and I want my wife, my girlfriend, my partner to initiate when she initiates, I feel desired. So he wants her to show proceptive behavior. He wants her to hop around, dart around, initiate, <laughs> if you will. Okay, the third kind of general class of proceptivity or showing interest is physical contact. So when you touch your partner, right, when the female initiates contact with the male. So getting back to rodents, right, or canines, even dogs, um, you know, they, they touch the male's uh, genital region or the primate, you know, genital re region for sort of, you know, grooming, right? But, you know, humans, we don't do this. We don't lean in and say, hey, you know, can I, can I groom you down there? It's just like not a thing. Imagine, imagine just like walking up to an attractive man at the bar and just like putting your head like really close. Yeah, and saying, would you like some grooming? Well, that would show proceptive behavior, but this is not how humans but operate. It would just look so strange. This is not how humans operate. Well, maybe a club med. You know, they do that at club med, but uh, usually we're not a club med most of the time. Um, and then number four, the last class of proceptive behavior uh, is sort of altern alternating approaches and withdrawals of the female to the male. So again, in, in, with rodents, it's hopping and darting, um, you know, female approaching male and retreating, um, reapproaching, um, stimulating and enticing. You know, quite often when women dress up, you know, women are often dressing up for each other. Right, Vicky, you know, this idea that, you know, maybe we're going out with our partner, maybe we're double dating, but sometimes women will want to put on makeup and look nice for him. Yeah, sure. But also for her, for our friends. And this goes back to hardwiring. We women are hardwired to to want to wear makeup, to dress up, to make the nest or the cave beautiful because it draws more to the clan. Uh, and the larger the clan, the more uh, survival is ensured. So it can be confusing. I, can, I, just, I just think of like when you go out with your girlfriends, right? Groups of girlfriends are always like, well, what are you wearing tonight? What are you wearing tonight? Yes, exactly. You know what I mean? If, yes. And if, if we didn't care what the other girls that we were with were wearing or what they looked like, we wouldn't 
we wouldn't ask those questions. Well, we, yeah. We never ask, well, what are the guys wearing? Well, <laughs> no, sure. What are the girls wearing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So so if you and I, Vicky, are invited to a black tie event, um, we're not going to probably wear jeans. I mean, right. You know, we might. Today, dress is kind of all over the place. But the reason for this, the reason that we check in with each other is we want to make sure that we have each other's approval. Because if your girlfriend doesn't approve or your uh, girlfriend expresses disdain that you're dressed too casual or too dressy, that, you know, th- there's the hard wiring of you don't want to turn people off because then your clan is smaller and you're less likely to survive. You get that hard wiring thing. It's, I mean, it's, it seems kooky, but it's true. So what does all this have to do with what we're talking about today? <laughs> I'm talking about <laughs> syncing up sexually. So how do we do that? I talk with couples quite often about planning intimacy. Now, planning intimacy um, is not just about planning sex or intercourse. It's about intimacy. Intimacy is not just about, uh, again, intercourse. It's it's everything from what goes on in the morning, what's going on around the house, uh, planning the date, having a nice time, enjoying your evening together, the romance part, all of that before even connecting. I mean, this is why we, we go dancing, right? So it's particularly slow dancing. It's setting the stage to touch to create connection. She's dancing. Folks, <laughs> so cute. Fully you can see. Um, okay, so we're sold a myth, uh, this myth about, you know, sex coming naturally. And I'm going to, it bears repeating. Again, this is why planning is important, but not just planning, you know, the touch, planning the whole evening, the weekend, the, the vacation, right? We want to be thinking about taking vacation, taking time away to relax, to enjoy, this sets the stage for more of that connection, which reduces anxiety and depression. That's the connection to mental health, also connected to physical health and optimal health. So, um, you know, all the aspects in a relationship of high desire, low desire, um, if your partner is is low desire for, for sex, then get curious, you know, ask them, what, what do you need to, to feel like you want to connect with me? How can I help you? How can I lighten your load, darling? You know, and it may be that the, the man in the heterosexual relationship or the same sex relationship uh, or one partner in the relationship is low desire. The high desire partner benefits from saying to the low desire partner, how can I help? Get curious, you know, how can we set the stage to make you want to hang out with me? You know, and then we go from there and see what happens, right? I have it in mind. If we don't think about something and we don't have it in mind, it's less likely to happen. Vicki, if you don't think about your plants and growing your plants, right, it, it, what what's going to happen to your plants? They die. They die. So that's the same thing with intimacy. If we don't have it in mind, it dies. And then I'm always seeing folks really when they're coming in and saying, I don't know why I don't feel desire for my partner, this spontaneous arousal for my partner, because you haven't had it in mind. It's okay. Lots of other stuff has uh, taken importance in your life, paying the mortgage, raising the children, working. You know, that's okay. It's normal. So, um, you know, what do we do? Um, so for, we talked last time about early ejaculation, uh, premature ejaculation. We can talk about 
the stop-start method or the squeeze method uh, to gain more control and resulting confidence for men. I often hear men say, I'm off my game, right? Um, so what does this have to do with partner sex? Well, um, what it has to do with partner sex is developing the confidence and the comp competence. And if they've had all, again, the medical issues ruled out and they're coming to, to me, um, I want to help them gain confidence again. I want to help them with themselves be able to sort of roll back and develop their ability to get an erection um, or, or not erection, sorry, to be able to have control of their ejaculation. So if they're early ejaculating or what they call prematurely ejaculating and they want to slow it down to sync up with their partner so they're having an orgasm closer to when their partner is, the stop-start method is one way. The squeeze method is another way. And I could talk about that more if people are interested. It's, you know, the, the very abbreviated version of it is essentially working with oneself first alone, slowing down. Uh, the stop-start method is literally um, stopping, like, the, you know, you begin to um, stimulate oneself to get an erection. You start and then you stop uh, because you don't want to get to the point of inevitability, they call it where that you kind of flip over the cliff or the mountain where you get into an orgasm too quickly. Um, and what's too quickly? Well, I don't know. You have to talk about it with your partner, but eight or nine minutes seems to be the goal for lots of folks. They want to be able, men want to be able to last at least eight to nine minutes because it takes women uh, nine minutes to reach peak arousal. Men, we've talked about this before, peak arousal can often be reached in two minutes. Women nine minutes. So men want to slow it down to enjoy the process and slow and, and enjoy with their partner. So stop, start is okay. Or start, stop is you, you know, you start stimulating yourself for say a minute or so. Uh, if you feel like you're going to reach that point of inevitability, you can number it, uh, quantitatively, you can qualitatively label it as I'm a little aroused, moderately aroused, very aroused and stop well before you're, you feel very aroused, <sighs> take a few breaths, stop for about 30 seconds, then start again, right? Um, so that you can increase the length of time until you ejaculate from a minute or two to eight or nine, eventually. Yeah. I think it's interesting. It's like eight or nine minutes, two minutes, because you can yeah. just hear people boast all the time. Like, oh, it's like, or I don't know if it's just society and social media and tv like the the myths that tv tells you right about sex and stuff like that i just think it's important just to reiterate that like eight or nine minutes is normal <laughs> yeah well well yeah and, and i want men to know that if they're ejaculating in a minute or two they can get more control over their bodies to last so it's it's a this is why sex therapy can be five to twelve sessions because the take-home homework is first they work with themselves alone um, then they get together with their partners and they do go through the same stop-start method. Um, the squeeze method, by the way, is squeezing on the frenulum, which reduces excitability or inevitability. That's all that is. The, the squeeze technique is very simple. So, you know, if you're like overly stimulated and you want to slow it down, squeeze on the frenulum. That's that little spot near to the head of the penis where it'll reduce the excitability or the inevitability of having the orgasm to slow it down, to sync up with your partner. So you can eventually get from one or two minutes to seven, eight, nine minutes. Um, and it's not only the physical thing, but it's also the mental operation, which is 
um, well, let, let me finish about the physical thing. So it's, it's not so penis centric. I also tell men or encourage them to be thinking about or experiencing or directing their thoughts to experience sensual feelings in other parts of the body. So if you're, if your body is on the bed, um, and you're doing this or your body's standing up in the bathroom, you know, think about your legs, right? Where are you feeling sensual and lovely pleasure in other parts of your body, your legs, your buttocks, your chest, your nipples to just sort of expand the, the sensual experience. So, you know, if they're in therapy with me, we kind of go through all of the pieces of this. So that's the first part. The second part is then doing all of that with one's partner, right? Separately, but together. And then the third piece of it is, uh, the uh, intercourse itself, right? So you'll be doing the stop-start method when you're inside your partner, literally. And it's the same idea that you start and then stop. 30 seconds to a minute, take some breaths. Know when you're about to go over that cliff and stop well before that so that you don't accidentally you know, have an ejaculation and then you feel disappointed. Maybe your partner feels disappointed. Uh, so you'll practice that with your partner and for, for women, for the partners, um, or even for if the partner is male, to be very gentle with your male partner and say, it's okay. Let's not worry about the end result. You know, we'll get there. Even if we're trying to make a baby, let's say it's a man and a woman and the, the goal is to make a child or make a baby, you know, you'll get there. Just, you, you know, you got five to 12 sessions. I mean, no rush. Right. So it's kind of counterintuitive. You know, you want to not go with the thing that comes naturally. Right. The thing that comes naturally is to worry and have anxiety. Slow it down. Come come back around to everything's normal. It's OK. We're going to get there. All right. So that's EE and PE. Um, uh, so uh, expanding erotic sensation, not being so penis centric. And then we talk about sensei focus, right? I talked about this last time. What is it? It's essentially noticing negative thoughts and bringing focus back to the body, sensations, breathing, noticing temperature of skin to skin contact, texture of skin to skin contact, and pressure of skin to skin contact for your own pleasure experience. And this begins to literally repair the sexual intimacy experience by fostering positive neurons in the neural pathways or neural circuitry of the brain. And Dr. Ruth said the most important six inches is the brain, right? Okay, so problems causing intimacy issues uh, oftentimes can be the development of a sex negative perspective. Um, so what I sometimes say is, you know, uh, addressing myths in sex and couples therapy that are sort of the downer the Debbie Downer or the Danny Downer to sexual pleasure, such as masturbation hurts partner sex. That's a myth. That's not true. Uh, we, have, we have two whole podcasts on myths that people can go back and listen to if you want. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, we could also do like a call-in maybe or a, a write-in. You know, if people want to write in and ask if something is a myth or true, they can do that. Hey, listeners, if that interests you, let us know and we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Because there's lots of myths out there, not just the ones we identified. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, masturbation actually increases the interest in sex um, and sexual development. And there's a big cost to the lack of development within masturbation, resulting in low desire, lack of imagination, lack of erotic fantasy. You know, we want to have good uh, solo individual erotic fantasies and partner fantasies. And we can either 
share them, keep them, uh, share them or keep them for ourselves or both. Uh, and that's really good. That's really good. Um, but, you know, people are taught either by family of origin messages, religious messages, whatever the messages are, um, that they shouldn't be talking about these things, that somehow it's inappropriate or, you know, not right or dirty. And that's just not true. You know, sexual and all it does is, is hurt you as you get older and then you have to learn the hard way that that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you said that because couples who are together a long time often report the best sex ever, because as you get older, if you are developing this, it's a rich, beautiful playland of erotic wonder. It's really fabulous. That's like, like a tagline for a resort. <laughs> <laughs> the rich erotic playland. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we get faked out. I think I've said this before by that initial falling in love, limerence, two-year phase. It's what that is, is beginner's luck with hormones running the show. That's it. Or it's your hormones. So over time, uh, this is why it's so important to be developing ourselves, talking, you know, like anything, playing an instrument, right? We have to practice. We have to you know, kind of know the ins and outs. So, you know, we have to get educated and then we have to do it. So you go to your teacher, your teacher teaches you how to play the instrument. Then you got to practice your scales at home. And then, you know, hopefully you come back, you get better and better all the time. Same thing like playing a sport, gardening, Vicky, right? Or developing at anything. We learn it and then we do it. And the more we do it, the better we get at it. And then the better we get at it, the more we want to do it, whatever it is, right? So, um, again, you know, uh, fears rooted in all kinds of messages that I want to help debunk for people. Uh, so sometimes it's not just religious teachings or family messages or societal messages. It can be lack of understanding, lack of education around sexuality and sexual health. So what do we do? Um, I want folks to become responsible for their own orgasm. I mean, if they if they're coming in and they want greater sexual health, then part of the program is becoming responsible for your own orgasm, uh, developing what David Schnark, my hero, calls the solid, flexible self for intimacy and communication and boundary setting. So I want to help my clients talk about sex, intimacy and pleasure by saying things like I'm open to dot, dot, dot. I'm not open to dot, dot, dot. Hey, honey, I enjoy dot, dot, dot. Or I don't enjoy Right. So I like it when you touch me here. I don't like it when you touch me there. I'm into this and I'm not into that. Be clear. This is so important. Um, so we're changing our, oneself. We're not changing our partner. And once people get that, that's key. Um, I mean, it's also asking your partner for things if you need or want something. And hopefully if they're willing to give, uh, then there's more reciprocity. And that makes for a good relationship, right? Give and take. Um, and don't be afraid of those I feel statements or I want, because I think sometimes too, you know, they, people might think they come off a little aggressive, but they don't. You're just telling your partner, this is something that I'd like. Or, and if, mm -hmm. and if I am open to, or you know, it's hard, maybe say like, try this. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. just like say trends and offer it more as a suggestion. And then you can positively reinforce that's what you want. Yeah. And take it as a compliment. Your partner wouldn't be telling you this if they didn't want to be with you. Right. 
<laughs> That's hard, I know. But if we take it as a compliment and also, huh, it's so funny, I'm saying take it as a compliment and not take it personally. They live in their own body. Their own body is set up in their own way. So whatever they feel or whatever turns them on has nothing to do with you necessarily. You're not in their body. You're in right. your own body. All right. So right. take it as a compliment and honor the request. That's who they are and what they like and who knows why. Uh, see your partner with new eyes, childlike wonder, intentionally fostering this sort of emotion of curiosity. Curiosity is an emotion and we can foster it. Just like empathy is an emotion, we can foster it, we can develop it, we can build it, we can grow it. So the last things I wanted to say here are that um, sex therapy addresses all of this. So sex therapy isn't just about the physical piece. It's about the four domains, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual as well. Um, we talk a little bit about dominance versus submission. This is a little bit of the political, the hierarchical in relationship, uh, the power and control dynamics, the egalitarianism and existential uh, aspects of relationship. You know, like we were talking about Jennifer from Kentucky in our last podcast, right? Being told that she couldn't do what she wanted with her body unless a man came in the room. You know, we really want to be fostering fairness in the relationship, whether it's a relationship of two men, two women, a man and a woman, cisgender, transgender men and women, transgender, uh, you know, any coupling needs it needs to feel fair there needs to be consent both people are important and loss is at the heart of anxiety and depression and when partners feel that they've lost a connection to their partner this is why folks are showing up they feel so alone they feel so isolated it's like i think of covid and the darkened lights on broadway what a loss i have a lot of friends at broadway shows and they have suffered I mean, I have one friend who not only lost his show, but lost his wife in COVID. I mean, can you imagine? So loss is at the heart of this loss of connection with our partners. So I want low desire partners to be thinking about that. They often feel objectified. They feel like, well, you just want me for sex. No, you want me for me. You know, you want to feel connected because when we feel isolated, again, it goes back to the hard wiring, right? When we feel alone, there's less chance of survival. Oh, so you see what's happening right now with COVID. People coming out and being together. Oh, I mean, right? People are so happy. It's connection. So there's so much joy. <laughs> so much joy. And and again, this attachment piece. I, I'm often looking at it how people attach, attachment styles, whether it's secure from childhood. Uh this is Bowlby and, and uh Ainsworth work on family of origin and play, you know, whether secure attachments, the attachments are avoidant, ambivalent, disorganized. Attachment is key when we're connected. Um so sex therapy isn't just about sex. It's about connection and intimacy and togetherness. And that's love. Right? Uh, here's, here's my last thing. Um, when we grow sexually, we grow as people and become the best we can be. We realize we had nothing to fear but fear itself and maybe some hard work. But work doesn't feel like work if it feels good. So let go and allow it to feel pleasurable or just plain good. All right. 
Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Please, again, uh, feel free to check out the website, www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. And that's couples, plural, sexandcouplestherapy.com. My team did a gorgeous job on this beautiful website, so check it out. Uh, and check us out on Facebook at the Sex and Couples Therapist, on Instagram, the Happy Ending Therapist. You can call the office at 508 9909 And again, I wish you lots of pleasure, play, and passion, and we will see you next time. Bye.